Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who was crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus... Uh, and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, And he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of the bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Peter, thank you very much for reading for us. Good evening. It's very good to see you here tonight. Do keep those Bibles open at John chapter 19. It's on page 1000. And 88 in the Pew Bibles. And I hope you'll find inside the little bundle you were given on the way in, the blue uh, news sheets, our service sheet, there's also a, a white uh, outline of where we'll be going in the next few minutes. You might find that helpful to have to hand as we go. But let's pray as we turn back to God's Word. We've just been asking for God to show us Christ. And as we've sung, where else can we go, Lord? Where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so, Father, we do pray tonight. We ask that we would see Christ as we look at your word. And we pray this urgently, for we know that you have the words of eternal life. And we long to live. So please help us. Amen. A few weeks ago, Lorna and I found ourselves facing a bit of a dilemma. We had an evening off and we were in for the night and so we decided to watch a film. But we weren't quite sure which film to watch. One of us, and I won't name any names, had their eye on a boring and cliched romantic comedy. (laughs) And the other one of us had their eye fixed on an exciting and dramatic action film. Uh, Which one to watch? We couldn't decide between the two of us. Well, in that moment of decision, uh, help was at hand. We turned to the internet. Rotten Tomatoes, a very helpful film review website, confirmed that actually both films were rubbish. And uh, we ended up watching a different one altogether. 
Look, we, we all face decisions every day, small ones like what film to watch or where to eat at a restaurant, and the internet's very helpful for those kinds of decisions. TripAdvisor is brilliant. But of course, there are bigger decisions in life. Uh, what job should we be aiming for? Where to live? Uh, there are global ones. How do we feel about Brexit or Donald Trump? Of course, there are also personal moral questions. Is it okay to share that piece of gossip? Does it matter if I just fudge my tax return forms? Does it matter who I sleep with? Perhaps the biggest question of all, where do I look to find true life? I can see the students are back with us tonight. Welcome back. It's good to see you. I know that you're, uh, many of you are facing exams this week. And it's not an academic question, is it? Well, it is actually for the exams. But um, when it comes to life, there'll be many people telling you that your life rests upon your grades, which means you can get a good job. Your good job means a good income. A good income means a good house and a good place in life. And that means you've got life. Where do we look to find answers to those kinds of questions and decisions? And I think today we are surrounded by more opinions than ever before. The internet, social media, think of the, uh, Facebook. Uh, I'm told that the average person who uses Facebook checks their accounts 14 times a day. And as we look at our feeds, they're full of, well, explicit opinion, blogs, links, articles, headlines, rants and raves about different issues, but also implicit opinions about the world and life. As people post what they're up to in life, we see what people are doing. Happy, smiley people, perhaps, successful people, giving us a sense of, if you want to live life, you must live it this way. We face decisions every day. We are surrounded by the need to decide how we'll live our lives and what life looks like. We are surrounded by opinions every day. Facebook, Twitter, newspapers, TVs, friends, colleagues, family. A world full of opinion. But tonight, as we turn to look at the Bible, we discover that the Bible does not present itself to us as yet another opinion to put alongside the rest of the, the opinions around us in the world. No, the Bible presents itself to us as truth, or, or the truth, as the plumb line by which we hold up every other claim to knowledge and truth, and the Bible measures and critiques every other claim and defines if they are true or false. It was 500 years ago this year that the beginning of the Reformation of the church took place and one of the key cries of that Reformation was Scripture alone. For the Reformers knew that in the Scriptures we had the truth in a world of opinion. Scriptures are the one thing we can come to to rest our lives on and to be confident about. And so on the handout you'll see our, our question before us tonight is this. In a world full of opinion... Why should we believe scripture is truth, or in fact, the truth? There are many reasons. Last week we saw that scripture is God speaking. And of course, that alone is enough to tell us that scripture is truth. But tonight, as we turn to John 19, we take a slightly different angle on that question. Why is scripture truth? 
Well, as Ben was saying tonight, we're going to focus our time on the person of Jesus Christ, for he is at the center of the scriptures. And our reading from John 19 uh, takes us to that crucial moment in history, just as Jesus dies. And as we look at John's accounts, we're going to see a really important reason why we can and should believe that the Bible is truth. And so on the handout, you'll see our first heading, and we'll spend most of our time here tonight. Eyewitnesses testify to the truth about Jesus. In our reading from John 19, John wants to convince us that Jesus really did die. Verse 33, he talks about the Roman soldiers, expert executioners, who did find that Jesus had already died. They didn't need to break his legs. Then verse 34, they plunge a spear into his side, confirming his death. And so then verse 35, look what John writes. The man who saw it has given testimony, that's, that's John, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth and he testifies so that you also may believe. We know Jesus died because John saw it with his eyes. A little while ago, I was involved in a minor road accident. We were driving through some roadworks, and we got a gentle nudge from the car behind us. It wasn't serious. No one was injured, minor damage. And it seemed at that point in time a very clear-cut case that the driver behind just didn't quite stop in time. But then annoyingly, as the months progressed, it emerged that the other party refused to um, admit liability and and a a dispute uh, emerged between us. And so a rather lengthy process of filling out uh, insurance policy claims uh, uh, ensued. And uh, as I filled out the paperwork, the the, the first question was this, what happened? Fair enough. I gave my version of events. Then the next question was, were there any witnesses? It's an obvious question, isn't it? It's how our legal system works. The judge, the jury, they, they weren't actually there at the point of the incident. But if you can find an eyewitness who was there, then they take you to the truth. And just as an aside, um, if anyone happened to have been driving north on the M5, um, just south of the M42 around 12.31 on 29th of April 2016, I would love to speak to you afterwards. But John's point is clear. He knows that we, the readers, sitting here tonight, many years later, we we are not able to see with our eyes these great events in history. Yet he testifies to the truth. Do you see verse 35? So that we also might believe that Jesus really did die. And this whole process of eyewitnesses reporting on the truth is exactly how our legal system works today. It's, it's a reasonable and rational way to come at evidence. And it's worth saying straight away, therefore, that, that the Bible writers are not presenting us with a myth or a legend. I used to love reading The Lord of the Rings growing up. I, I read the books again and again. And even though the world of Middle Earth is a a very detailed and advanced world and, and, and Tolkien goes into great care to, to fill it out for us. At no point is he claiming to be describing truth. It's, it's fiction. It, it's a myth. Wonderful though it is. But here John says, I tell you the truth about what really happened. 
Islam claims that Jesus was a great prophet and that as a great prophet, he could not die. He has not died. A complete contradiction to what John is saying here in John 19. Who is right? I know which one I go for. On one hand, there's a man in a cave on his own who lives hundreds of years after the, the, the life of Jesus who claims to have seen a vision from an angel that no one else saw or could substantiate, claiming that Jesus did not die. Or over here, there was an eyewitness who saw Jesus and saw him die. Eyewitnesses testify to the truth about Jesus. He has died. But hang on, you might say, (laughs) the confirmed sighting of a dead man proves nothing because... Well, sadly, dead people are seen all the time. It happens in this life. That, that, that doesn't mean that the Bible's truth. But John's not finished with his eyewitness accounts of these most crucial moments in the life of Jesus and indeed of the world. His account continues. A few days later, these same disciples see this same Jesus appearing before them. Uh, look forward to John 20. At verse 20. After he, Jesus, said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. He's been dead three days. But here he is now standing, living. It's, it's the same person because his side, his hands, are the marks from the nails and the spears. And here he is now standing before the disciples and they saw him with their eyes. They testified to what they've seen. It's almost too much to believe that the one who was dead has been resurrected from the dead. Indeed, Thomas cannot believe it unless he sees for himself. And when he does see Jesus and when he does touch his hands inside, then Thomas realizes something extraordinary about this man, Jesus. Uh, Look forward to verse 28, just over the page. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. We've seen the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and now Thomas's conclusion, the identity of Jesus, my Lord and my God. You see, etched into the canvas of history, these events that really happened, the truth, John says, show us a man who died, was resurrected, and no one does that. No one comes back from the dead, except this one, Jesus. And Thomas concludes, he must have been God himself on earth. If I stood here and claimed that last night, in my living room, on my own, with no one around, I managed to move a pen one inch just with the power of my mind. You wouldn't believe me. Uh, You might say, well, who saw you do it? And I would say, no one. And then you'd say, prove it. And of course, I can't. I can't do it. I can't substantiate my claims. But, but in John's gospel, Jesus has claimed to be God himself. And in this great moment of death and resurrection, he has proved once and for all, he can do 
something that no one else can do in coming back from the dead. And so the eyewitnesses testify to the truth about Jesus. But again, you might say, well, that's, that's crucial and impressive and important, but where does that leave us with the Bible? Uh, maybe this one particular episode is truth, but what about the rest of the Bible? Well, looking particularly at the, the offer of Jesus, just keep reading through John 20. Look at verse 31 of chapter 20. 20 verse 31, John says, well, actually, verse 30, let's begin at verse 30. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You see, John is saying that his, his whole gospel account has been put together based on eyewitnesses for the express purpose that people who didn't see the events of Jesus might believe us here tonight. But not just to believe. John says, here's the offer. Life in his name. I have a very good friend who I've known for many years. And he tells me how years ago when he was an undergraduate studying at Oxford, not a Christian, he had, had it all. He played football for the university first team. Uh, he had a way with the woman. Uh, he was doing academically very well. He had a career path all planned out that involved making millions of pounds. And in the world's eyes, he was alive. If you were to post his life on Facebook, it would be the kind of life that would make other people envious. I wish I could be him. And yet my friend tells how he, he came back one particular night after being out at a party. All the usual ingredients, the drink, uh, uh, the woman. He was lying in his bed and he could not sleep. Because it felt so hollow. Yes, this was life, but was that all life was? It felt so empty. And he couldn't sleep. He was so distraught at how empty his life was. And so desperate was he that he picked up a Bible. He, he hadn't read it before. And he started reading about the life of Jesus. The Gospels. And he kept reading all night and through the next day. And by the time he'd finished reading, he realized he had never been alive at all. He had never experienced life. But as he encountered the person of Jesus in the pages of Scripture, he was encountering the one who could give him true life. And there and then in his bedroom, he knelt down and prayed and turned to Jesus and said, give me life. Give me forgiveness and relationship and certainty about my eternal future. And in that moment, he lived. And this is so important because the world around us tells us what life looks like. Our Facebook feeds, our colleagues, our neighbors portray a view of what we need to be alive. The car, the house, the, the networks and connections. But the one person who is uniquely qualified to talk about life and death is the Lord Jesus. For he is the one person who's died but come back to life. And so we would do well not to listen to the opinions of the world around us but to, to the one who has the offer of eternal life to give us. Where do we go for life? Where do we go for meaning and direction? We come to Jesus, for he is truth. 
He is uniquely able to give us what the world cannot give us, eternal life. I know I'm just scratching the surface of of how uh, the Bible works. Eyewitnesses telling us the truth about Jesus and enabling us to meet Jesus and so have life. Uh, There's much more we could say on that particular point. Um, There may be questions you have about whether we can trust the eyewitness accounts. I've got a little book to recommend. It's actually in the bottom of the second page of your little handouts. Um, Can I Trust the Bible by Barry Cooper? The copies of this, this book actually cross the way in the church center afterwards. I think it's three pounds for this book. Great little book to have. Uh, a great introduction to the Bible. Uh, if you want something more advanced and technical, over the page, uh, the book by F.F. F. Bruce is very helpful on whether we can trust the eyewitnesses' accounts of Jesus. But before we move on, I want us to see eyewitnesses testify to the truth about Jesus. And not just one witness, I put down the handout. Again and again throughout the New Testament, the writers are at pains to remind us that there are many witnesses. I put down just a a snapshot there. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul talks about how 500 people saw the risen Lord, including Paul himself, who wrote so much of our New Testament. Acts 1, as they thought about how to replace the traitor Judas amongst the twelve. The one key criteria of who to replace him with was one who had been with them from the beginning, who saw all that the Lord did. One John talks about uh, those who saw Jesus, and it uses the plural we. We have seen Jesus. To Peter, Peter talks about having been an eyewitness of Jesus. Or in Luke 1, he has interviewed lots of eyewitnesses to tell us the truth about Jesus. In a world full of opinion, we should believe Scripture as truth because it is based on the eyewitness accounts of the life and death of Jesus. Well, that helps us to understand the New Testament Scriptures. But uh, some of you might be wondering about the Old Testament. How do eyewitnesses help us there? Well, very quickly, just a, a headline really over the page in our handout. Our second point is this. Jesus testifies to the truth about scripture. If you have a Bible, again, uh, turn back to John 19 and to our reading we just had. And I wonder if you noticed, as Peter read it for us, how John is at pains to show us that the events taking place are to fulfill the scriptures, that is the Old Testament. So look at um, verse 28. Later, knowing that all was now completed, And so that the scriptures would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And then what happens next, he's given some wine vinegar to drink. Back in the Old Testament, I put there in the handout, Psalm 69, verse 21. King David in the Old Testament talks about a moment when he was surrounded by his enemies and oppressed by them. And one of the symptoms of being oppressed by his enemies was they gave him this bitter wine vinegar to drink. Terrible to drink. And many centuries later, it seems that King Jesus, the great descendant of King David, as he is oppressed by his enemies, like David, is given this bitter drink in his moment of oppression. Uh, There are other moments, uh, John 19, uh, 36 and 37. We haven't got time tonight to go in detail um, about those things. But it's clear, verse 36, these things happen so that the scriptures will be fulfilled. And again, verse 37 Another scripture says, 
I think it's like this. Growing up, I used to I love um, jigsaw puzzles. But um, with, with a big puzzle, maybe a thousand pieces, there'd often be a moment when you got stuck. That there's one particular piece that you knew you had to have before you could progress, but you just can't find that, that particular piece. It has to have a, a straight bit there and then a lumpy bit there and two bits sticking out there and it has to have the right color and, and hue. And as you look around, you think, oh, it could be that piece. And, no, it's not that one. It, it's, it's not that one. And then finally you find the piece and you know it's the right one. It just fits. All of it comes together and you, and you slot it into place and you know that's it. That's the one. Well, in a far more glorious way, that is what's happening here with, with Jesus. He is the one person who fits and fulfills all of the Old Testament perfectly. We see just three ways here in John 19, but you could go through the New Testament and see again and again and again how Jesus fits and fulfills the Old Testament scriptures. And you see, if we can be confident about Jesus through the eyewitnesses, and if Jesus fulfills the Old Testament scriptures, then we can be confident those Old Testament scriptures are true as well. But it all flows through the person of Jesus. Now there's much more we could say about the Old Testament scriptures. We haven't got time, I'm afraid, tonight. But before we finish, there are some huge things for us just to think about as we apply this to ourselves. Since scripture is truth, says John, not opinion, three things for us to be finished. We should read urgently and thoroughly. I said at the beginning that the average person who has a Facebook account checks Facebook 14 times a day. Others of us will read the paper, watch TV, surf the internet, spend hours talking to friends, chewing over the, uh, the world events. But uh, we sang some words uh, before the sermon. Words taken from John 6, words that uh, Peter spoke. Where else can we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. That's what we've been seeing from John's gospel. Etched in the canvas of history, Jesus brings us, offers us eternal life. Where else can we go? And so we should read the scriptures urgently and thoroughly, for they are where we find eternal life. I do wonder at the start of this new year um, whether we've slipped from the habit of reading our Bibles daily. If we have, if we spend more time looking at Facebook or the internet or the newspaper, now will be a great time to readdress that balance. You won't find life anywhere else but the scriptures. So come and read urgently, daily, thoroughly. And not just the bits that we like or agree with. I think it means that we should make our Sunday gatherings a real priority. We won't find life in being busy. We'll find life coming and pouring over the scriptures. So come here each week, make it a priority. And of course, small group as well. For students at seven, the youth, uh, the rest of us here, all have access to small groups. A chance to pour urgently and thoroughly over the scriptures. Next, uh, we should read humbly and carefully. I think, and I include myself in this, it's very easy to pick up the Bible and as we thumb through it to sit in judgment over the Bible, to decide which bits we like and don't like, to not look at some parts and to prioritize other parts. 
But if scripture is the truth, then actually every time we open it, it judges us. And so we would do very well to read our Bibles humbly and carefully that it may judge us and weigh us and expose our hearts. And again, I wonder, as we come to the Bible uh, on a Sunday here, as we come to small groups, I wonder if we come humbly, recognizing that we don't have all the answers, but God does in his word, willing to listen to what he has to say to us. Finally, we should read confidently and excitedly. Jesus really did die. He really did come back to life. He really is God. And so his offer of life to us is real. I don't know what kind of week you have coming up. I know for students, there'll be exam pressures and strains. Maybe you've got a difficult work meeting. Maybe you have concerns about health. Maybe you're worried that you haven't got enough to cope with the demands coming at you for whatever reason. The brilliant news is that our life does not depend on our performance over the next seven days. Rather, our life depends on coming to the words and promises of Jesus and trusting in them. Is there any better news in the world? I haven't heard it. Let's pray. Father, in a world full of opinion, we thank you that the Bible is truth. And we thank you that the truthful message is full of life and hope for us. Uh, We pray that you'd help us this week to take your word seriously. Help us to come urgently, humbly, carefully, thoroughly, excitedly, joyfully because of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing again in response to what we've heard. And the final uh, verse of our next song says this, Our eyes have seen, our ears have heard. We are witness to the power of your word. Words, uh, I think, first and initially and ultimately speaking about uh, John and the apostles. Of course, uh, we stand here in their footsteps, wonderfully able to see as well as they uh, pass on their words to us.